Would you give it up for Tim one more time tonight? Thank you for ministering to us. Amen. Well, it's great to see you tonight, and I'm so glad to be in God's house. What a sweet presence of the Lord. And, you know, Sunday mornings are great. They're fine. But I've found the extra, the gravy services, are really where you just kind of, you know, you come with a different set of expectations, don't you? And, and they make such a difference. It's that biblical principle of pilgrimage. You see it all through the Bible that when people get out of their normal routines and meet with God, he meets with them in a special way. And as you follow the scriptures, you know, you see um, different times, different places. It, it was even institutionalized then into God's law that the three of the feasts would be pilgrimage feasts. Stop what you're doing, do no ordinary work, and go if you're able Go and, and take that time. And then we see it all through the scriptures. We even see pilgrimage in the ministry of Jesus where he went into the wilderness. And that one, usually you go to the wilderness, you go shut in with God. There he went and shut in with the devil. But how many know that went okay for him too, right? And then, but we see all these different uh, ideas of it. And it finally concludes in the book of Revelation with the ultimate pilgrimage where we get to go be with God permanently good stuff, but he rewards those who diligently seek him. And I just want to say thank you. As a total outsider, thanks for letting this Kansan into South Dakota, right? But I just want to say thank you so much for taking that extra effort. I believe that you will see a greater fruitfulness in your life, um, whether personally or in the things that you do. You're going to experience more of God's help and grace because you've been fanatical last night and this morning in Sunday school and then this morning and now tonight. And then pastors just announced that you're going on for six more weeks, day and night, and, and he's the speaker. And so that's awesome. But, um, but I just want to encourage you so much to press in. He has so much more. Um, the old statement, you can have as much of God as you want in your life. And in fact, right now you do is true, isn't it? You, what you've gone after is what, uh, how you have grown. And I encourage you um, that way. It's just so great to see what God is doing here. Uh, on behalf of Rochelle and I and our family and then those that work with us both here and overseas, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for your prayers and thanks also for your giving. Um, God laid on our heart years ago that if we would never make money a big deal, it would never be one and he's just made a way and we are so grateful for God's provision and kindness and thank you. I mean, it's it's kind of a, a, a wonderful, humbling tension that we live under because the people that we serve every week are the ones that are enabling us to fulfill the call of God in our lives and it's just a, it's a beautiful attention that, that we are so grateful to God to, to partner in. And so I just want to say thanks for that. Um, if you're interested, uh, at the end of the service will be your last time to grab some of our books and stuff if that interests you. Not that I think that any of you aren't going to make it through the night or anything like that, but uh, simply because we're going to pack up and we fly out in the morning. And so if you're interested in those, you can grab them. Rochelle has them. There's all kinds of stuff back there. I think I talked about most of the things back there. I didn't talk about um, our kids' book. Back when our um, boys were elementary age, Rochelle and I wanted to be the prime influencers in their lives and understanding the things of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, obviously all theological things are important, but for us, because the passions that God's put inside of us, um, we found that so many people misunderstand the empowering of the Spirit and become selfish or it becomes event-based or it becomes this or that. And so we just wanted our, our what would it be like if we had the ability as parents to kind of frame this for them and help them to grow up understanding those things in a way that we felt was most biblically accurate. And so uh, we began to take notes and work on things. And this book is the fruit of that. And God used the material in this book to help all of our kids open up to and receive spirit baptism. 
baptism, uh, most of them as young children. But I think it'll be helpful called Kid Power. Um, it's super helpful for kids, elementary kids and grandkids, or if you're a hard-headed adult, it will work for you too. And a funny side note, um, I, we got an email maybe six months ago from a guy going, hey, you got to look at the review of that book on Amazon. I've never looked at Amazon reviews, whatever. So so he sent me the link, so I clicked on it, and the review on it, one of the reviews on it was like, the book content is great, but the illustrations are terrible, right? Because our boys as children did the illustrations. So you better believe as a proud father, I forwarded that onto all of our sons and said, way to go, thanks for ruining the book reviews, you know? Uh, of course, they're all grown men now. But um, then this book called Helping Others Receive the Gift. This is a really strange book. How many are sitting by someone strange tonight? It might apply to them, okay? So what's weird about this is um, this is a book about how to minister the Holy Spirit and his power to other people. And uh, I had worked on this, so I was so excited about it, whatever, and, and ready to go. And then God began to convict me that it's just one-sided. And so I was like, what in the world does that mean? As I was kind of praying through chapters in the editing stage, what does it mean it's one-sided? And, um, and God really began to convict me about it. So over the next month or so, I bumped into 13 other leaders across the Assemblies of God that are really fluent and conversant in ministering Holy Spirit baptism and leading those prayer times and helping people. And so I began to sense what God was doing. So I individually called all of them and said, hey, would you contribute a chapter to this? So I threw out like 99% of my stuff. And, but in this is some of the most helpful stuff you'll ever read. It's used in, in a college textbooks all around the world on, for ministry students on how to lead others in the baptism of the Spirit. But even if you're not a pastor, it answers oodles of questions. There's even a chapter in here on how to lead a home Bible study where people can be filled with the Spirit. And if you're a theological egghead, we've got you covered in the back. We've got chapters by Dr. Gordon Anderson and Dr. Del Tar, one of the greatest missionary statesmen in our movement's history, but some great, great stuff. There's really interesting things back there, and you'll notice it's in godly Philadelphia Eagles colors back there, so um, take advantage of that. All right, um, we're going to talk tonight about Holy Spirit gifts. And then we're going to end with a prayer time, and we're going to respond and pray together. Is that okay? Because you probably just didn't come tonight just to sit in a room and stare at each other, right? We came to receive from God. And I think it's important to always remember that the normal way people receive from God in the Bible, how many believe the Bible? Okay. Hey, that's the best poll so far. All right, we're getting somewhere, okay? Uh, maybe because we got rid of all the riffraff from this morning. But uh, the... The normal way in the Bible people receive from God is through prayer. And that's really important. Um, you know, God can do anything because the biblical principle is there's a usual way God does things. But then because he's God, there's always an unusual. And you see this principle just cross-platform in so many areas. For example, the usual way people hear the gospel is somehow through a human messenger, whether in person, whether preaching, whether sharing on the phone, email, text, books, tracks, radio, TV, you know, whatever it might be, video, um, all these different ways, but typically through the auspices of a human agency. But then God can also, you know, knock you to, off your donkey and, and uh, speak to you in an audible voice. And like we experienced in, uh, when we were in Morocco a couple of years ago, uh, right before COVID, our taxi driver had gotten saved because Jesus had appeared to him in a dream, you know, and revealed himself to him. And it's just, just amazing stuff. I mean, God could, but that's unusual. And the biblical framework is that we pursue the usuals of God because that's kind of the, the 
cross-platform promise for all of us, but some people mistake it and they pursue the unusuals and then they're typically left with disappointment or misunderstanding. So we, we serve, we, we partake of what God is serving, the usuals, and then if something unusual happens and you celebrate it, right? And so there's kind of a, a theme you see through the scriptures. Well, tonight we're talking about the usuals, stuff God likes to do. Um, and and when we look at this, for some of us, maybe you haven't encountered or operated in some of these gifts, or maybe it's been a long time. God wants to tonight push the reset button in your life and renormalize your usuals. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing his previous church. Kind of the history went this way. He had been, um, he stopped in Corinth, and there he ended up meeting Priscilla and Aquila, who were Jews that had fled Rome after some persecution, and uh, they were kind of in the tent-making business. We don't know exactly if they met maybe at the tent-making shop, you know, whatever, buying supplies, or how they met, or maybe in synagogue, um, probably likely, but, but they met together, and they began to work together and partner, and, and Paul planted this church in Corinth. We know it was kind of a household-based church from his language, and he actually mentions a couple of the households. In fact, um, he was there for about a year and a half and built a congregation. Um, they didn't have a building like this, household churches again, and lots of persecution in Corinth. And so Paul built this church, and they came from this super pagan background, and kind of, Corinth was kind of the Las Vegas of the day, kind of anything happens, and uh, lots of uh, transit happened through it from, you know, Sparta to Athens. Everybody went through that way. And then also the sea route through the Bay of Corinth and, and all this stuff. I mean, there's oodles of traffic went through it, just a convergence point. And a lot of sailors went through there. No offense to the sailors, but they were just there to party while their boat was being carried across this land boat transport system across the four miles from the Aegean Sea or the, from the Bay of Corinth in the Aegean Sea or backwards. They had this block and tackle kind of a crane system. Later on, they did a canal, whatever. But the sailors knew that they were stranded there for four or five days while all this was going on. And so they began to uh, party like crazy. And, you know, there's ancient proverbs about Corinth that kind of give us an idea for the culture. Um, two ones that are most memorable. I heard Dr. Craig Keener give these in a lecture one time, and I just, just kind of etched in my brain. How about this one? The wine flows like a river in Corinth. To give you an idea, right? Like, what's the byline for Aberdeen? The snow blows like a river or whatever. I mean, what, you know, whatever it is. Like, you wouldn't even think of going, hey, man, we can slosh ourselves drunk. You know, it's like what you have on the bumper sticker. But that's kind of the idea. Or then there's this other ancient Greek proverb again along the same lines about 100 years before the writing of scriptures the first time it emerges if I remember the facts right but it's this one you can't get as drunk as a Corinthian like wow they have super livers or something like that or they're pre-pickled you know out of the factory or something like that but I mean, I've been a little silly with it, but it does kind of give us an idea of the culture and the context. And you have the polytheism, and then you have, you know, the center for the worship of Aphrodite. Her primary temple was there on the mountaintop, the Acrocorinth there. And so, I mean, there's all this stuff going on, and Paul's planting this church in this incredibly difficult culture. Boy, I'm so glad our world today doesn't have problems of substance abuse and uh, sexual problems and, you know, persecution and on and on. I'm glad we fixed all that. But... In this culture, Paul plants this church and builds it, and there, almost everyone that's there that we understand comes from a, a pagan background. They're first-generation Christians. 
And so Paul's there for a year and a half. He leaves. He brings Priscilla and Aquila with him. They go across the Aegean Sea. He drops them off in Ephesus. And then he moves on and does a little trip. But while he's there, Priscilla and Aquila collect together the converts of the Egyptian evangelist Apollos. This is Acts 18 and 19 in a nutshell, if you're wondering. Gathers them together. And Paul comes back after a little while. And he then uh, lays hands on those uh, believers. They're all baptized in the Holy Spirit, Acts 19, 1 through 6. And then kaboom, the great Ephesian revival happens. Probably the greatest recorded revival in the New Testament. Literally shook the region, shook the Roman province of Asia, brought the gospel to places that would never get to before. I mean, it was unbelievable stuff. Yeah, persecution, yes. Problems, yes. But also good stuff. And Ephesus would become the seat of of uh, such an amazing move of God. You think about, there's 27 books in the New Testament. Nine of them are written to Ephesus, from Ephesus, or about Ephesus. You've ever read Paul's epistles, his letters to individuals and churches? And his book to Ephesus is a love letter, isn't it? I mean, it's just amazing. It's loftiest. You can tell his heart is there because he pastored there for three whole years. It was his longest pastorate and his most successful one. And what he's in the middle of the Ephesus revival, and he gets a letter from Chloe, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, gets a letter from Chloe, one of the house church leaders, and she says, Pastor Paul, remember us. It's been a couple years since you've been here, but we've got problems since you left. We have doctrinal problems and practical problems, and we need help. And so Paul writes this response letter, 1 Corinthians, back um, to this church that's so full of problems, but he loves them parentally, but he's also in the middle of this great move of God. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, why can't you be like your little brother, you know, kind of a thing going on. And uh, so he's writing with this care. And you've read 1 Corinthians, right? He goes from one issue to the next, now about this, now about that, now about this, you know, now about matters of conscience, now about the Lord's Supper, now about the coming of the Lord, now about spiritual gifts, which would begin the section of chapter 2. 12, 13, and 14, which is the portion we're going to look at in just a moment. But in kind of a nutshell of those big three chapters, chapter 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians, his letter about uh, Holy Spirit giftings and people cooperating with the moving of the Holy Spirit, which is our theme tonight, chapter 12 basically has very elementary language. And he's pretty obviously speaking to people that are new or new to the movings of the Holy Spirit. And you'll notice this because this is the little portion we're going to read in just a moment. It's just really knee-high and elementary. And then chapter 13, the Apostle Paul, he stops his writing and he goes, Hey, wait a minute. I'm going to die one day and I need to make sure there's something in the Bible they can read at weddings. So he did the love chapter, chapter 13, right? And then he goes, okay, now I'm sorry for my rabbit trail. Now back to spiritual goes, No, chapter 13 is actually not about romantic love at all. Though some of those principles are certainly transcendent. First Corinthians chapter 13 is about the agape, or we say agape love, um, the selfless love. And his whole theme is this is the way the gifts are to be manifested unselfishly. In fact, if you stew on 1 Corinthians and go through all the nine major issues, the crux of every solution he gives them is don't be selfish about fill in the blank because that was kind of the problem in Corinth. I'm glad we're not selfish here in America, right? But um, that's kind of the antidote he gives. I mean, I've lived in Corinthians for a couple years, and it's just, uh, it's so rich. But, but don't be selfish about this. Don't be selfish about that. And so this is kind of what he's doing. And he says, listen, it's to serve other people. That, that, like there's only one more piece of grandma's homemade pecan pie left. 
you can have it. How many know that takes incredible Christian character and constitution to do that, right? And so, this is, this is what he's dealing with. And then chapter 14, his tone changes, and now he is no longer addressing the new people, because he speaks in chapter 12 with such elementary, hey, you just, yesterday you were pagans, let me explain to you simply how the, you can understand this, let me explain it. Really, kindergarten. And then chapter 14, now he's speaking to people who have been around. And he's telling them, listen, you need to get better at some of these things because your selfishness is impacting this where it's not so much uh, introductory like chapter 12, like, hey, let me help you. Come on into the water. The water's great. Now it's, hey, you people need to stop, you know, uh, throwing water at each other in the pool and you need to start, you know, swimming together well. And let me help you. And so within that if within that framework from either onboarding brand new people to these gifts to people that have been around in a while, in those three chapters, bridged by that, hey, this needs to happen through the selfless love of Jesus to build other people up, is this incredible sandwich that helps us all. Every one of us in this room is somewhere in that. We're either on the onboarding side or we're in the been there, done that side. And God is speaking to us, but it's all stuck together with the, the gooey cream filling in the middle. Sorry, I'm getting hungry. My metaphors always go to food of, of that selfless love. So with that kind of overview and background in mind, so we, we know kind of where we're at in this, I want to invite you to stand with me to your feet. And we want to read just the first 11 verses of that introductory part, chapter 12. You ready to read out loud, big and bold? All right, way to go. How many would wave a hand saying, the Bible has changed my life and it's important to me? Yeah? Paul told Timothy to devote himself as a pastor to the public reading of Scripture. That's kind of why I do this, because even though the preaching stinks, at least you get the Word of God proclaimed, so it always works out good. So let's just let's get it in our brains tonight, in our minds. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. Father, thank You that You share Your kingdom and kindness and giftedness with us even in our imperfect state. And I pray, Lord, tonight that you'd help each one of us to want to know you so much more that we would also want to share in the operation of your Spirit's giftings so that others can know you more too and can encounter you more. Thank you, Lord, that you let treasure 
be placed in our earthen vessels. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you would help each one of us to trust you and trust your spirits leading more than we trust our own fears and apprehensions and misunderstandings. Help us, use us, Lord. Stir up the gifts within us. Pour them out upon us, we pray, for your glory. Amen, amen, amen. You can be seated if you like. Let's skip the picture slides and go to um, the, the next one after that. So take a look at this real quick. When you talk about the Corinthian cultural stuff, first of all, you have the a la carte religion. So you've got polytheism and the Greco-Roman uh, structure. Um, there's a God for everything. And most of them are unique boutique gods. You have like Bacchus, the god of wine and grapes. You have even the god of healing, Asclepius, the Greek god of healing. And he has a sub-temple there in ruins in Corinth. But, you know, these little things. And, and then you have like kind of the, the gods that are kind of like the general merchandisers. You had Apollos and you had Zeus and some of these bigger ones. But Corinth, again, was the headquarter temple of the temple of Aphrodite, which was a fertility cult. And if you haven't heard of that one, don't look it up because you'll you need to wash your eyes. But it was a bad spot. Let's just suffice it to say the sake of little ears, it was a good place um, that if you visit that temple afterwards, you went right to your doctor for some penicillin because it was, uh, it was a, a bad place in that way. So you have all this going on. So remember, he's speaking to most likely to people that are new converts since he's left. And so if, would you go back to the first scripture slide just for a moment? Think about that. If you had a separate God for every divine activity, you would notice uh, he says about these spirituals is actually pneumaticon. It's kind of more than gifts. It's about lofty spiritual issues. I don't want you to be unaware. This is good news for all of us. God wants us to understand more of his supernatural ways. That's probably the best news any of us have had all day long, right? Don't you think that in order to be using this gift, you have to be beamed up to the mothership on Yom Kippur and see Jesus and Elvis telling you stuff or whatever. But he wants all of us to understand these things in a greater way. And then he goes on. Uh, go back to that first verse again. I'm sorry. I'm just going to work through that text super fast. He said, when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, plural, however you were led. And then he goes, hey, there's order in God's kingdom. Uh, go to the next one, please. Now watch what he does. Varieties of gifts, but what? Same spirit. Varieties of ministries, same Lord. Varieties of effects or outcomes, same God. So he goes, hey, it all this is a one-stop shop. And so he's trying to challenge their, the, the pagan worldview that's probably still pervasive even in their uh, early discipled Christianity. And then he goes on to say, um, varieties of effects, but God works all these things in all persons. And then, but to each one, each person is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good to benefit everyone, not the selfish me first, but everyone else, right? Then go to the next one, please. You'll see his anti-paganism theme running through here. For to one, one person is given the word of wisdom through what? The, the spirit. And to another, the word of knowledge according to the same spirit, not a different God, not a different idol. Uh, to another, faith by the same spirit. To another, the gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. Uh, next, please. A prophecy, distinguishing tongues, interpretation, but one and the same Spirit works all these things. You see how he keeps on hammering the same nail, right? Because that was a major Corinthian cultural challenge. And I think it's important for us, even though we may not have a different God for everything, we kind of have our own idolatries, don't we? And I think it's important for us to remember that everything that happens, it goes back to Jesus, 
And he's the center, he's the focus, he's the purpose, he's the the center, the object of God's glory. The Holy Spirit is the magnifying glass for the identity of Jesus to become more real in people's lives. And that's what these gifts are for. Can we go back to that Corinthian cultural challenges slide? And you're amazing on the slides. Thank you so much. Um, So then you have aberrant sexuality. That went along with the culture in general, but it also went along with the Aphrodite practice and all the transient people coming in the community. Substance abuse, um, not only um, alcohol, but also uh, they chewed this root that kind of gave them a buzz. And I mean, how many know as long as it's been around, people have been trying to get high. So, you know, so they've been doing that. They go down to the local gas station and huff the gas. I mean, all kinds of stuff. But then the negative view of Christianity and persecution. I mean, these are all kind of real for us today, aren't they? And a lot of times we kind of think, oh, to be back in the Bible days, you know, when Laura Ingalls Wilder walked the streets with Jesus or whatever and, you know, kind of a thing. But but this is real. These are the common his, historical problems of humanity And Paul is telling us and telling people that are even battling some of these things in their lives, God wants to gift you and use you, and it's going to draw you into a more selfless relationship with each other and the Lord. This is so parental and caring of the Lord. Now, so let's look real quick because the Apostle Paul kind of goes through these um, gifts, but I, I want to show you just something on the next one real quick. Hit me the next slide. We're almost done. I'm going to be quick here tonight. So when you think about Holy Spirit giftings, I want to break this down just for a quick moment on the parties involved in being used in the gifts. First of all, you have God the Spirit, right? Then you have um, the person being used in that gift, and then you have the person benefiting from that gift. And I like the metaphor of a restaurant. You've got the chef who does all the hard work. You've got the server who actually does hard work too, and, and sometimes even more, depending on And then you have the diner, the person benefiting. In this scenario, the diner would be the person benefiting from the gift, right? They need to be healed or whatever. And all of our attention typically on being used in the gifts is on the server, on the go-between in the middle. But you'll notice the server, as awesome as their job is, they don't cook the food. They don't place the order. They reach into what the chef is cooking and they go like this. Here you go. Now, I'm if you're serving in a restaurant, I know that's super hard work, man. Restaurant business is tough. But, um, but you see, they didn't cook it. So it's not like the person eating goes, thank you so much. That was extraordinary food you served and that you did it all. Um, and they may thank the server, and you should tip them really well, especially if they know you're from AFA. And, uh, but it's interesting that often the person cooking the food is the least known person in that whole scenario. So another way of looking at this, how many of you have ever um, seen uh, electricity in operation before? Okay, so that's all the South Dakotans. If you're from North Dakota, let me reveal to you real quick. No, I'm teasing. Uh, I actually love North Dakota. People, uh, you have to make, make fun of somebody else, right? So we live in Kansas. Have you ever noticed that some people, I don't know if you have a South Dakota hand gesture on where you're from, but uh, you ever been around someone from Michigan? Where are you from? I'm from Detroit, I'm from Grand Haven, I'm from Traverse City, I'm from St. Joe, you know, whatever, or if they're in the UP, which is really Wisconsin, but, you know, or if you're from Alaska, see if I can do this, is it like this, yeah, from Alaska, right, I am from Juneau, I am from Barrow, I am from Anchorage, right, we're from Wichita, Kansas, right, I mean, that's kind of the way it is, but, um, all right, so, this is, this is how you're using the gifts, so, you have extension core, or you have outlets, right, like, right here, we have a one- 20 volt, you know, single phase electrical outlet. That's actually a 20 amper because it's got the little 
uh, side prong slot on it. But you've seen these before, right? How many have experienced electricity? All right, okay. But if I had a lamp right here on a table, I would need one of these to get the power there. Now, even though in this outlet there's nothing plugged into it right now, um, there's power there. Well, probably. Let me tell No. I mean, there's power there, right? So in order for me to bring power where it's needed, I've got to plug it in. And then all of a sudden, this makes, brings the power from where it is to where it needs to be, so to speak. And it really is, you, have you ever looked at an extension cord and gone, that is the most beautiful extension cord I've ever seen. Well, look at how it shimmers. It's just, we should get some hot glue and bedazzle it, you know. And I'm sure someone on Etsy is doing that. But, you know, put some feathers on it whenever. But extension cords are about the most utilitarian thing there is. And you kind of try to hide them often, don't you? But this is you and I in being used in the gifts. We're not the power and we're not the outcome. We're simply the ones that bring the power where it needs to be. And so this is our role. This is why Paul was telling the church, listen, don't be so hotshot about your gift because you're just the one serving it. You're just the extension cord. Not that we're not important, but we're not the main deal. You know, for example, like I, I've always been really a little uh, conflicted about language like, well, what gift do you have? Well, I have the gift of, you know, apparently bragging, you know, whatever. But, but um, you know, well, I have the gift of this, and I have the, you know, you need to discover your gifts. And, and I get that, but there's also kind of a sacredness to this too, right? Because if God's not working, it's not like you can do it now without him. In fact, Jesus said, without me, you can do how much? Nothing, right? And so I always feel this strange tension um, when people talk, well, what gift? What's your gift? What do you operate in and whatever? And I, I just kind of keep quiet in those moments, not because I have higher virtue. I don't know about you. Um, I don't want to mess things up, you know. And also I recognize, too, that um, God can use anybody he wants, and I'm just grateful to participate in his kingdom and in his glory. And for a lot of people think that if you pray for someone and they're healed, therefore you now have the gift of healing. No, you're just an extension cord, right? And it's, when you think about it, really, who leaves with that gift of healing? The healed person, right? And so, you know, like even tonight with the beautiful tongues and interpretation, excellent, and obviously mature giftings on both the utterance and the, and the interpretation, beautiful, well done, and, you know, excellent, and very meaningful, so rich, and, and, and excellent. But we're the ones that leave with that tongues and interpretation, right? And the ones that were used in it so beautifully are the extension cords. And so it's just so important to see that overriding theme of Paul telling the Corinthian church, don't be selfish about this, 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 you know, on and on and on. That's the same issue, and it kind of harkens into our Americanized views of everything. And so we kind of think about, well, how can I market this to make it, you know, whatever, how can I, you know, um, uh, social media this, and how can we get a sound bite here, and a, you know, whatever. And have you ever noticed, like, Jesus is really bad at marketing. He's the worst, honestly. He's the greatest at everything but marketing. Like, if I were Jesus, aside from blowing up the world, I would have, I would have told the people healed, hey, get a selfie with me, put it in the paper, call the reporters, tell everybody, go tell it on a mountain, over the hills and everywhere, go, go. But instead, 
He's like, shh, that's just between you and me. Don't tell anybody. Seems kind of backwards, doesn't it? But that's who is imparting these gifts. And for us to take them and turn them into a self-platform undoes the character of Jesus as revealed in the Bible. So holding these sacred things in tension is really important for us and always remembering that we're not the source and we're not the intended benefiters. We're simply the people that are delivering God's packages in that moment really helps us stay in center and also keeps us tied into the source. You can say, amen, good, God bless you. That's good preaching. Okay, now go uh, to the next one. Let's look at these real quick. You've thought about these. Um, Paul's lists are all ad hoc. So what that means is he's not going, these are the only nine ways the Holy Spirit manifests himself when you come together because his theme is in a church service, you know, um, but though certainly they can be used outside. But he's just trying to go, hey, these are the common things because he's still in that new part, you know, hey, you new people, let me teach you, you know. This is red, this is blue, this is yellow. You know, he's trying to elementary stuff. And so he, he gives us this enumeration of listings. And then when he gets to the last verse of chapter 12, he does something. He says, now I'm going to show you the most excellent way. Hopping into the first two chapters of what we call the love chapter. Though I could speak in the tongues of men and angels. Obvious reference to tongues, right? If I don't have love... It's a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal, useless noise. In the Greek, the the clearest way you can translate that is country music, right? And then he goes on the next one, and now he summarizes from the spoken gifts. He summarizes from the revelation gifts, and he summarizes from the power gifts. And he goes, basically, if I had all of them, I had all the powers of the hall of justice, and I didn't love people, I would still be empty and useless, and so he builds into that. But in that second verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 2, is where we get this idea of kind of breaking them into three categories by function. So it's kind of based on kind of what he does there. So let's look at this real quick. You have communication gifts. Um, and this honestly is a central theme. Basically in the Bible, when the Holy Spirit's empowering somebody, it's to communicate. Prophetic giftings is kind of the overarching thing there. And so you have public tongues and interpretation of public tongues. Remember, this is not praying in tongues. And the Apostle Paul separates those out in chapter 14, verse 2 through 4. Um, public tongues and interpretation, he says, not everybody ha- operates in that. But of public, or personal tongues, praying in tongues, what comes with spirit baptism, he says, I want you all to do that. And so it really helps us to kind of understand a common misconception And honestly, you could say that public tongues and interpretation of tongues are maybe not even two gifts, but it's one gift with two parts. It's like J.B. Weld. You know, you got to, and then mix it together really good, or you just have a sticky mess, you know? And so it's very helpful. And by the way, kudos uh, to those leading worship, and of course to pastor, who at the end of that, did you notice they gave some space? And then um, the worship leader responded and encouraged us to respond. And then pastor came up and gave some context. Hey, for those of you that are new, did you notice all of that? Some of you, uh, I don't, you don't even notice those things because you're so used to it in your church culture. But imagine if you're brand new to this and you see this, all of a sudden, you know, the inmates are ruling the prison for a moment. And then all of a sudden, they, a lot of churches, they pretend like nothing happened and move right on rather than giving us the opportunity to respond and then pastorally to go, hey, this is okay, and it's in the Bible, and let me help you with this. I mean, I really appreciate that from both you and from the worship leader. Way to go. Super helpful. How many want new people that are coming in to 
understand the ways of God. Isn't that 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 6? Yeah. Okay, so then we have prophecy, which is a more direct word. Typically, we associate prophetic word as being a kind of a, this is God speaking. And this kind of messes with classical Pentecostals, of which I am one, born and raised, and, and the whole business. But we have our own kind of culture that a tongues and interpretation is the same thing as a prophecy, but it just takes longer to get there. And there's no data in the Bible that tells us that. In fact, usually, the content of tongues in the Bible is upward in nature from human to God rather than from God to humans. You ever think about that? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language to which we were born. Paul calls it later on chapter 14, your giving of thanks, or it could be intercession upward. Not saying that God couldn't do those things, but it would be very appropriate to at least occasionally have an interpretation of tongues that was upward in nature. I've been in those moments before in a a room where all of a sudden the interpretation of tongues was an intercessory prayer for a people group around the world. Man, that power, that intercessory moment hit everybody. We're all on the deck pleading to God, crying out an intercession for souls. And it wasn't God saying, hey, I want you all to pray for this person now or this people group now. But it was framed differently. And just something to think about because a lot of times we're kind of locked in our categories. Um, And then so... We have communication gifts and basically saying what God wants us to say. How many want to say what God wants you to say? How many are sitting by someone that really can't control their mouth and they get in all kinds of trouble, like your hand right now? Okay, all right. Then next, if we look at the uh, um, revelation gifts. So the Bible, again, doesn't specifically define these. Paul kind of assumes that people understand what he's talking about. He doesn't go, a word of knowledge is, a word of wisdom is, you know. Um, but we kind of can get the idea from them. And so kind of the way he uses words, like you have word of knowledge, um, logos gnosis. Um, the word word is kind of, you know, not the whole pie, just a piece, a portion of it, you know, is kind of the idea. And it also has kind of the meaning of spoken utterance. And, you know, there's some, some other nuances there. You can't load every meaning on it. But it kind of gives us an idea that it's partial. And the idea is information, logos, data, information. And probably most of you, how many have served the Lord for more than like five years? Wave your hand. All right. So... If you've probably served the Lord for any length of time, you've experienced a word of knowledge. This is so common. Um, How many of you have ever, out of the blue, you've just suddenly felt prompted to pray about someone or something? God kind of rang your alarm bell. Word of knowledge. You go, wait a minute. I thought a word of knowledge was, you know, wait a minute. You. The Lord has shown me that you have rabies and leprosy and the mange. And the baby in your womb. I know, but you know, but it, the the uh, I, did I get him good enough for you? Is that good? Okay, all right, okay, all right, okay. So, um, but a lot of people think that, and that's fine. Um, just my own take, and I'll step away from the pulpit. I'm always super cautious about making a show of the things of God. Um, if God lays on your heart to do it in a public way that attracts attention. To me, that's a unique prompting for that moment. But these things are so sacred, and the way you do them is just as important as what is done. And so when you get a revelation or something, you, 
you know, the first default setting for me is you got to pray about it because now you get a prompting from God and you have two problems you didn't have just a minute ago. What do I do about it? And when do I do something about it? And we as classical Pentecostals, the moment we, you know, get hit with the electric shock, man, we stand up and scream and run around like our britches are on fire, you know, rather than letting it cook down and pray. And I've found with like words of knowledge, um, why not ask the Lord ahead of time? This has been very often over the years, I don't say this is a brag because I've never done anything to deserve or earn or anything like that. And as a matter of fact, I made a lot of mistakes. I believe that last word, however, was incredibly correct. But even though you're not paying attention. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Don't tell him what I said afterwards. He wasn't paying attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the rabies. Yeah, a little foam right there. Can you? Yeah, hydrophobia. Anyone, old Yeller fans out there? All right. So, but yeah, a lot of people, um, they just assume that it's to be kind of like, you know, public demonstration, and it's cool. Paul did that in Lystra with the lame man, Acts 14. But also these things, you don't just assume that it's to be in front of everyone, you know? In fact, if you're used in intercessory prayer, you probably flow in the word of knowledge a lot and may not even realize it. And so these things are, are beautiful, and they're deeply spiritual and deeply vulnerable and deeply private, but they're also designed to build others up. And so some of these gifts, like the communication gifts, have a more common expression to them. And Paul uses language that hey, everybody's listening, everybody needs to understand, everybody needs to hear. But some of these gifts, um, they could be that way, and some of them they need to be deeply personal. So ahead of time, like before services, when I'm working on notes and stuff, I'll just be praying, and hey, Lord, I'm going to be you know, preaching at, at Aberdeen or whatever, and, and not that these gifts have to only flow after preaching, but just, you know, hey, if there's anything you need me to know. And I ask him, and... So a portion of the time, certainly not always, but sometimes I'll begin to get little promptings. And one of the lessons that I've learned is if you just kind of jot down everything that you think might be a 1% chance it's God, and you actually pray about it, your discernment really sharpens up fast. Because most people, they don't, they'll talk to everybody else before they talk to the Lord. Talk to him. Most people go, oh, that just can't be God. Well, how do you know that? without asking him. And if you pray about it, it will become very unimportant if it's not God. You'll go, trash can, you know? And if it is God, it kind of hangs on. And, and then if you're praying ahead of time, you can really hone in and pray and go, God, is there anything else? Help me, help me to know. What do you want me to do, you know? And you can follow him in that way. Word of wisdom, um, that's Lagos Sophia. We use it as a beautiful girl's name, but it's the idea perhaps most likely of kind of knowing what to do. The application of knowledge is typically wisdom. Kind of knowing what to do. And maybe some of you have had that happen. You know, hey, take the back way home from work tonight, you know, and God helps you avert an accident. Honestly, this happens all the time invisibly in churches and ministries. Um, it's just amazing. And, and happens in our lives. You sense those nudges. You're not sure why you do it, but you do it, you know, because you feel that inner prompting. Many of you are flowing in these things and, and don't even identify them. And maybe that's cool, too, because it kind of keeps it sacred and, and, and vulnerable and personal. But it's also good sometimes to identify that and say, hey, Lord, take me deeper in these things. And then discerning of spirits. And this is the idea, the Greek word there for discern is, like, we think about, like, judge. You know, Simon Cowell or, you know, you know go to jail, whatever it is, or or whoever the happy one is that lets everybody through, whatever her name is, and, and Paula Abdul, whatever, yeah. And, um, and uh, so, you know, that we kind of think about it, yes or no, but that's not that word. 
it's, it's sort through. It's the prefix dia, like diameter, cut through the middle and sort through it, diacrino. And, and spirits, it's, it's not I see dead people. That's a spooky, kooky gift, all right? A matter of fact, if you see more demons and you do things of God, then I'm concerned about your spiritual life as a leader, for real. Um, you're more aware of something that you should be less aware of, you know. And, uh, but it's, it's kind of, it's of spirits, plural. In other words, discerning what spirit is an operation, what spirit's motivating behind something. Even Jesus would say to the disciples, you don't know what spirit you are of in that comment. You don't know what's motivating that, and it's not me, you know. And then the same language he picks up in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, when he's talking about uh, prophetic gifts, you're to kind of sort through them, hold fast to that which is good, reject the evil, this sort of an idea. And so it's just kind of interesting to see that. And then there's also corporate discernment. Like, did you notice tonight um, the response of the worship team and then, of course, pastor to the tongues and interpretation was not one of, hey, I'm not so sure about that word. But it was obvious it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We kind of had that corporate discernment. Hey, that word's pertinent and powerful for us tonight. Did you feel that? Did you feel that rightness inside? And so we operate on a corporate level. We operate on an individual level. And this is a super helpful gift to kind of know what spirit's behind things. And it's only as God imparts and as he wants us to be used. But I've found reaching up to God and welcoming those gifts is a great way to put a welcome mat out, unlock your front door, tie up the watchdogs, make yourself a platter of warm, gooey chocolate chip cookies with extra butter. How many know the extra butter will send you to heaven quicker to see Jesus? And, um, but then let's go to the next one. Finally, uh, we have demonstration gifts. And so... We have gifts of healing in the Greek. It's a double plural, which is kind of a cool thing. You don't want to make too big of a deal about it, but the same way in Koine Greek, you wouldn't pluralize gifts and healings. Like in English, you would say gift of healing or gifts of healing. It's the same way in, in the Greek. So it's kind of, and it's not like, oops, God has a typo. It's a literary form, most likely for going, hey, this is a generous, broad, huge category speaking of all kinds of physical recovery. And then we have workings of miracles, energema dunamis. Um, and that you know that word dunamis, power, in its plural form, it's miracles. And so it's kind of cool. This one's the catch-all. Like we go miracle service, but this is anything. Calming the storm, weather miracles, provision miracles, even God striking people dead who lie on their offering envelopes, Ananias and Sapphira. Can you imagine? I bet the finances at Jerusalem First Assembly tanked after everyone was scared to death, you know? Peter's like, honest, just be honest on your offering envelopes and nobody will die next week, you know? But I mean, these are miraculous acts. How many of you can think of a time in your life where God's hand was upon you and you should already be dead right now if it wasn't for his miraculous protection? You know, you could certainly fit that under workings of miracles and so much more. I mean, that's a big one. That's the Swiss army knife of this. And then finally, the gift of faith, special, unique faith for something. And we most often kind of an easy way to associate this. We have general faith, which saving faith, I believe God can. How many believe God can do anything? And that's the platform we stand on when we normally pray. Okay. Hey, I believe God can heal your rabies, right? Okay. And so anything's possible, right? So, you can do that, and please stop scratching uh, with, your, with your foot behind your ear. And so, so I believe God can. So that's the normal platform, and that's very powerful prayer, isn't it? Right? But this gift of faith 
it tends to have a little revelatory nature to it. It's a special, unique one. And like most often, maybe some of you have an unsaved loved one and they're not serving the Lord, but one day God just kind of drops a little revelatory promise in your heart. You know, even though they're living like the devil, that they're going to get saved. And so now from that moment on where you pray with a very, at a higher level, not higher as in the other one is worse, but it's just different. You pray with a faith confidence about that, that that's beyond general faith. It's like God's let you in on a couple chapters ahead. And so now you're saying, let it be done, you know? And so these, and that also, you can see gift of faith in giving. How many have ever had a missionary come through and they're like, you know, they're going to the unreached people of, of Tatooine and you're like, hey man, they really need Jesus. Those Tuscans, man, they're rough crew, man. They're talking about persecution, you know? And, um, and also they have the visual things with the goggles and gauze and stuff like that. And you're like, man, we really need to reach out to them. And, um, and then also they had the, that uh, genocide um, uh, from that young man there. So, I mean, there were a lot of complex issues, right? And so, all of a sudden, you look to your spouse, and they're like, hey, we need to write a check, and, you know, whatever, and you're like, what do you want to do? And, you know, you know the eyes, and you're like, oh, you're thinking what I'm thinking, and you've been saving up for that new 8-track tape player, and, and you're like, honey, let's, let's do it. And you feel God give you special faith to be the extension cord of provision in someone's life, and it doesn't make sense in the natural I won't have you raise your hand because it would defeat the reward in heaven and the purpose of it, but probably most of you know what it's like to have God move upon you with special faith in unique moments to be extraordinarily generous even. I mean, there's a million ways this is manifested. So we're going to wrap things up here real quick because it's 1130. but just wanted to kind of give you an overview and see how diverse these things are and beautiful they are. Go to the next one super fast. So let's, I love this scripture. So this is at the end of the mature people passage. So he goes, okay, so what's the outcome then? When you assemble, when you come together to church, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, and teaching there is uh, didache, a little bit, of, little bit of teaching, you know, encouragement. A revelation has a tongue, has an interpretation. And he's not going, these four things need to happen. He's saying, giving kind of an ad hoc view. Hey, you have this, you have this. We, you know, let it all be done to build everyone else up. He's asking, he's telling the Corinthian church and in turn us, When you come to church, what are you bringing with you to build others up? Because we live in a consumer mentality, right? Come and do it for me. Oh, they've changed their brand of coffee at that church. I'm going to, you know, uh, Starbucks assemblies or whatever it is over there or whatever. They changed the the seats and, you know, they painted the restrooms a different color. And, you know, they did this and they did that. That one person, they you know, the pastor didn't shake my hand this week and whatever. We're all, you know, everyone is so, so gross and consumer minded when really Paul's turning it upside down. He goes, okay, mature believers, have you prayed before you've gone to church? Have you asked God, would you use me in some way, either publicly or individually to build up someone else? This is, this is this upside down kingdom that we live in. It's just, it's not, I demand a pedicure. It's, let me wash your feet. Four helps real quick and we're done. Go to the next one, please. Um, number one, you got to learn how to listen in the right spot. How many want to catch all that God is speaking to you and prompting you to do? So you have to begin to learn the difference between your thinking processes and your spirit. And everyone that's saved has the Holy Spirit inside of you. And I can help you find that spot. All right? Like some people want to um, act like they're all revelatory and really they're just snoopy. You know? You know, someone 
comes up and they're like, oh, Brother Blackbeard, I, I, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. Wait a minute, do I perceive? I, I, I see you have a peg leg and I see you have a patch and a hook. Wait a minute, I, I, do you have scurvy as well? I'm getting a word. It's like, of course he has scurvy. He's a pirate. Stop it, you know? And, and a lot of people try to act like, you know, put off that they're all spooky and whatever. But you see how that attracts attention to the extension cord? It's not concerned about revealing the love of God. It's about personal fame and attention, personal affirmation. When these gifts are, it doesn't matter who's being used. And so this is, when you learn to listen in the right spot, here's where it is. Where do you sense the presence of God? How do you sense the presence of God? What are you doing that leads you in to sense the presence of God? You're drawing near in some way, usually prayer or worship or whatever. You draw near when God begins to kind of light your lights inside. That's where the prompting comes from. But if the prompting is based on knowledge that you already have or you're perceiving with your senses, it's probably not a spontaneous revelation. Not to say that God couldn't use that, but it's not like, oh, I see, the, oh, one and one plus one equals two. Oh, I bet, you know. And that's when people get into trouble. And these things are so sacred. You think about it. If you say to someone, hey, I feel like the Lord is saying this, and it's really your imagination, you're a big fat liar. And actually, you have blasphemed the name of the Lord more than someone that said God and then a cuss word after it. Because you are misrepresenting his identity to people. I don't want to be a blasphemer to you. Only thing worse than that is a Dallas Cowboys fan, right? And so you learn to listen in the right spot. And so when you, when you begin to sense those promptings, most people dismiss promptings that don't come from their intellect. Where did that come from? Oh, that's kooky. Forget it. But once you begin to pray about everything, just quickly, Lord, I'm kind of sensing that. Is that me? Is that you? Help me to sort it out. You begin to hone in where God speaks, and you find out he talks a lot more than you ever thought he did. Then number two, slow down. All of the supernatural is uncomfortable. Like, did you notice the corporate tension when all of a sudden they're playing and all of a sudden someone over here started the utterance in tongues? And they're like, you know, you're waiting because a lot of times the people on the platform have in ears and they don't notice it for a while and someone gives them the nudge or the talk back person goes, hey, put a cork in it. There's a tongues, you know. And, and so they'll, they'll quiet down. And, and then the whole room kind of quiets out out of reverence and corporate sensitivity. But then after that's done... If you've been here before, you know our role is to wait, which we don't like as Westerners. We like things as tightly edited as possible, right? Come on, hurry up, man. I got chickens to fry and all kinds of stuff to do here. I got to get home and put the dogs outside and euthanize the cats. Man, it's a busy night, you know? Can we get this thing rolling, you know? But God is never in a hurry. Have you noticed that? If God was in a hurry, he would have chopped down the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, made a cross out of it, and sent Jesus into the garden and been done with it in chapter 3. But God wants to relate to us. And you know how you build relationships? You spend time with people. And those tensions happen inside. Your brain is going, like many of you are saying right now about me, come on, man, put a cork in it, get it over with, right? Hurry it up. We have places to go. The ice cream place is going to close. What's it called? What is it? Twist cone. Yeah, okay. 
We were in a, a, a town, Fredonia, Kansas, a little while ago, and their ice cream place is called Toot and Scoot. I would be calling the gastro doctor on that one, I think, pretty much. I'm not sure I want to eat there. So, but slow down. This is huge. Because the waiting is uncomfortable, what do you do? You try to get it over with as quickly as possible. And so, like, for example, you're praying for someone for healing. You're like, I need to pray for that person. Okay, God, I'll do it. But like a, like a child, I'm just going to do the bare minimum activity required so I can say technically I obeyed because I don't like being uncomfortable. Now, if you ask me to do something that I could control the end result to, I would be much more comfortable to take my time and do it. But because I'm uncomfortable, I want to hurry up and get it over with. And so I pray, oh, Lord, heal them from the top of their foot to the, I don't know, the bottom of their foot, whatever. Amen. Heal them or kill them. I don't care. I'm just, I'm out of here, you know. Because amen means I got nothing, right? And you stop. But when in that moment have you actually been the extension cord conveying the love and compassion and caring of Jesus, which is much more important than your words? The whole moment of that is that that person is experiencing the attention of God. And if I'm in a hurry because I'm selfishly worried about me being more uncomfortable than God slowly wrapping his arms around that person, that's on me for being an effective cord. Plus, when you hurry up, you make mistakes. When you slow down, you tend to lean and rely more on the Lord. Number three, go fishing for the gifts. Um, this is a little experimental for people, but it's something that's instructed my life, and it might be beneficial for you. I don't know. But when you, how many of you bathe in the morning? In fact, if you don't bathe, wow, so few of you. Um, if you don't bathe, don't raise your hand because it lets the dogs out like the old hymn, right? But, um, but you think about this. When you're getting ready in the morning, you're, how many of you brush your teeth for real? You, okay. Again, you poll so poorly. I know you love Jesus and you're awesome people, but it, as a poll, this would not be a good place to poll, all right? Um, so, but if you brush your teeth in the morning, when you're brushing teeth, just make it a reminder. Hey, Lord, would you guide my words today as I speak to other people? I'm cleaning my mouth physically, but I just want to consecrate it to you spiritually. And would, Lord, if you have me to speak a, a word or word of knowledge or a revelation or even prophetic gifting or whatever it might be, because you, you know how many know you don't like prophesy and work for, verily, verily, the Lord would say unto thee in King James English, you know, whatever. Um, but you can still be nonetheless prophetic in those environments, spirit-led in your words. But what I'm saying by fishing for that, intentionally, like 1426 says, come with an open expectancy, but not even in church anywhere. Like, wouldn't your complicated family dinner be better if you went there, not as a fire extinguisher, but you went there with a, a, a mouthpiece of God in that circumstance? So you go fishing, Lord. I'm, Lord, I'm going to this thing. Do you, do you have anything for me? And then you just listen and be attentive. So if he does want to say something, you already have your ears inclined towards him, right? And then the final one. The main goal is that somebody else benefits and what they're really experiencing. Oh, yeah, they've gotten healed, you know. All the mange has dried up. Pastor Sebastian hardly scratches anymore, right? But the main goal of that was not just the alleviation of suffering or whatever. The main goal was that that ex person experienced the love of God in a tangible, unique way. And these are all expressions of the love of God. This is honestly where all the power comes from. 
And for people that minister in a rough way with others or in a way that's uncaring or self-centered, hey, check out my bedazzled extension cord kind of a thing, and they're not so much concerned about the people there, they operate in the gifts, but it's only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2, it kind of cancels out. Oh yeah, I got healed of my back problem, but when the evangelist smacked me in the head and shoved me and pushed me on the ground, now I've got a migraine. You know, it cancels out, right? And so he's trying to keep us from those ditches in the road, but if we operate in compassion and humility and love for people, it goes so well. And honestly, the big thing we're all afraid of being used in the gifts is that we'll get it wrong and something will mess up, you know? Um, and, but the thing is, if you really love and care for people, even if you do make mistakes, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you don't want to intentionally do it, but because there's great padding, there's a great safety net underneath you when you're really loving and caring for the person. And also that love and care will prohibit you from being a knucklehead. So that's why that selfless love is sandwiched in the middle. We began our, uh, and musicians want to come back. You guys, I don't want to burn you out. You've been playing a lot, but I'd love your ministry. If not, you can put on that. I put a Kiss CD up there, Greatest Hits, and you can just play that. Um, We began our ministry in the year 2021. We started in 1993, but we began 2021's ministry um, in the uh, uh, Cherokee Reservation in Oklahoma ministry. And at the end of that meeting, we had a healing service and whatever, and people praying for each other. And at the end, I was narrating and getting testimonies. And as I was getting testimonies, I began to feel this little prompting, a nudge inside, a um, little word of knowledge probably. And, and, um, and I really began to wrestle with it because most often these revelatory things, you know, you don't know everything and you only know the portion, the nugget God tells you. And so um, I really struggled because uh, it didn't make any sense to me. It was one word. It was way out of context. It didn't mean anything. And so as I'm going down the line, what happened to you? I'm privately inside, silently praying, going, God, you know, help me develop this. Is there more here? Because I kind of knew the spot it came in. I've learned over the years that's kind of where God speaks. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, spiritually, I'm pretty sure it's you, God. But intellectually, I'm super concerned about this and um, kind of feeling those spots. And as I'm going down the line, I know I've got like nine more people to get their testimony from. So I knew I had some time. But as I continued to go down the line, it was only more intense. I just needed to say this word out loud, and God wasn't telling me anything else. And so I don't know about you. I'm like, I don't want people to think I'm stupid. I mean, you probably already do, but I want to think, you know, a knucklehead. And so I go down the line, and and by the last person, I'm like kind of pitting my shirt out, sweating as I'm interviewing this person. And But deep inside, my whole attention self-focused. I'm like, God, please tell me more. I just don't want to say this out loud. And I'm like pleading like, you know, Pat, can I buy a vowel? You know, just give me anything more, you know, kind of a thing. And there's just nothing. And when the last person does their testimony, the place erupts and clapping and rejoicing with them. I see the pastor get up and start walking towards me. And I know I've got 20 seconds. Uh, so I go, hey, while pastor is coming, I just, I kind of feel this prompting. I'm just supposed to say this word. And to the best of my ability spiritually, I think this is God. But how many will cut me some slack if I'm wrong? Because I thought I'd put some pillows in the runway, you know, just in case. And it's true, we can be wrong, right? Only Jesus operates perfectly in the power of the Spirit. And so they're like, yeah, whatever. So I go, here it is. And by that point, the pastor's right here. I go, here it is. I just feel like I'm supposed to say yellow. And then I hand another mic. He looked at me like, what? You know, 
hits me in the arm and he goes, yellow. Okay, well, whatever that is. All right, well, God bless you. See you next week. He turns to me and he goes, what in the world was that? I'm like, Pastor, I've been struggling for like the last 10 minutes doing these testimonies, struggling with this thing. And I'm so sorry. Obviously, it didn't land, and it was really kooky, and it was a big stretch for me to say it. And um, I mean, you know, forward all the hate mail to me. I'll repent more. I'll pray more. I'm so sorry. You need me to write a letter to your board? Whatever. I'll do whatever. And he's like, no, it's no big deal. But, you know, I was out there. I'm like, I'm so sorry. So we're talking to people, and and um, and I'm, we're walking out the door. By that point, we thought the room was empty. And right as we walked through the, the sanctuary doors into the lobby, um, I heard this voice behind us go, hey, wait a second. And I looked, and there's this lady. She pops up from between the theater seats, and she picks up a bunch of stuff. She was picking up things. And she, she runs out in the lobby, and she puts her big bags down on the information desk. And she says to Pastor and I, she said, first of all, I want to apologize that my daughter was so distracting today. And uh, she said, uh, when she kind of began to choke up, she said, well, she's special needs. And she's actually really, really high on the autism spectrum. She's actually non-language, but she's very verbal, about eight years old. And, um, and she said tonight, you know, she was so loud. And she said her word was she was inconsolable tonight. And then she kind of paused and she kind of choked up a little more. And she said, well, we brought her um, to the service because we know God's going to heal her. We have, and she mentioned, we have a special gift of faith when she was first diagnosed, God spoke to my husband and I that we're to bring her every opportunity to receive prayer that God's going to heal her and she's going to speak and she's going to declare the glory of God. So we know, we know. It's not like hope, wish. We know it. And, um, and she said, we were so excited tonight. But she said about halfway through her service, she's sitting between my husband and I and she's restless and she's making all kinds of noise and, and, um, and she's throwing stuff and whatever. And before the... the during the teaching time and during before the prayer time and my husband leaned over and goes honey come on it's not fair to her let me take her home and I'll go home and put the live stream on and let her be in our living room and and be comfortable and then when it comes time for prayer I'll take her in my arms and I know you and your mom who was sitting beside her you guys agree in prayer and I'll pray for her right there in the living room we know God's going to heal her it doesn't you know no distance in prayer let's not make it difficult for her and she goes oh yeah right right go go so he took their daughter and left and then a few moments later we started the prayer time And she said, from the moment he got up and left, something began to kind of foment in me that I didn't realize was in there. She said, I began to kind of the weight and the disappointment of years, eight years or so of of this not happening yet and seeing her grow and yet not grow in in certain ways and, you know, this and that and all the struggles they deal with. And she said, it just began to bubble up inside. I began to feel so overlooked and she said when it came time for the healing prayer my mom and I kind of joined hands obligatorily and prayed she said but inside I just felt so empty and when the prayer was done I put my forearm on the theater seat in front of me and she said I just felt the fatigue of years just hit me and she said my forehead got so heavy just kind of clunked on my forearm and she said I just felt this weight and this discouragement and this frustration and then she said it began to bubble up even anger And she said, pretty soon you were getting testimonies. And she goes, I know those people. I go to church with them. And I know they struggle. And I was so excited for their healing on one level. But on another level, it was like salt in the wound. Because she goes, God, where are you? And she said, I've just kind of checked out during that testimony time. And she said, I said stuff to God like, she said, it was kind of mean. How many know he knows what you're saying anyway, right? And so she said, I began to say things to him like, God, where are you in all of this? Is your promise ever going to come true? 
do you even care about my daughter? Do you even care about our families and the issues with all of this and the struggles that we have? And are you even present? Have you heard our prayers? Is your promise true? And she said, as, it, as you kind of were going down the line, I knew you were going, I, I just wanted to run out in the parking lot and scream, just waiting for the dismissal. And she said, uh, towards the very end, she said, I began to get very direct at God. Do you even love her? Do you even care about her? Do you even know her? Do you even know her name? Has she been on your radar? And she said, the last thing she said, the last thing I said to God at the very end was, God, you don't even care about her. You don't love her. You don't know her. You don't know her name. You don't even know one fact about her. God, you don't even know what her favorite color is. Immediately, yellow over the PA system. And she was bawling and we were bawling. She opens up her purse and it was filled to the top with little plastic yellow counting bears. Like if you've done elementary math as a manipulatable. She goes, for whatever reason, the only stimulus our daughter responds to is the color yellow. She had a yellow shirt on. She said, not even human touch. It's yellow is what makes her happy. And she said, there was no way that a person on earth, number one, even heard what I was saying or understood but she said the timing and the and everything. She goes, she's just bawling. We're crying. And she goes, here tonight, I thought it was all about God healing my daughter. When God wanted to come and lay his hands, put his arms around this brokenhearted mom. She said, there's nothing on earth that could have personalized the love of God to me in this circumstance more than that. And it's easy in that moment to go, I'm quite an extension cord, aren't I? But in those moments, that's not what comes up in your heart. You feel the love and humility of Jesus because, you know, you didn't. Matter of fact, I wrestled with the obedience on that, right? And it's okay to feel those tensions and wrestle with our humanity, but we wrestle with God on those things. And then his glory comes and people feel loved and helped and God makes his plan known. And all along the journey as a side benefit, we get to know God better. What a father, right? Come on, would you join me? Maybe you want to lift your hands and surrender and openness. And perhaps would you just begin to out loud welcome God to send new gifts through your life? Come on, lift your voice with me across this house. Oh, Jesus, I just want to participate in your kingdom. Come on, stand with me to your feet. I just want to participate in your kingdom. I want to, I want to work with you, Lord Jesus. I want to serve whatever you're cooking up, Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. I want to find my identity not in the miraculous act, but in you, Lord Jesus. I just want to serve what you're cooking up. I, I just want to be your extension cord. Give myself to you, Lord. I want to come with an open expectancy. Not only to church, but to work and to home environments and to Walmart. I, Lord, wherever I go, could I be your extension cord? Could I bring your power, your connectivity with me? Spirit of the Lord. I think the last slide is an enumeration of what gift have you yet to be used in. And maybe you could keep that on the screen for a few moments. Would you just quickly take a minute and would you pray through those things and invite the Lord to use you in them? 
Some of them are probably not as interesting to you as others. And maybe you're very, very quiet and personal. You don't want to do anything public, you know. But I want to tell you that selective obedience and willingness is probably not really willingness and obedience at all, right? And so, I mean, after what Jesus has done for us, how could we say no to him? And in fact, you'll find often God will call you outside of your comfort zone. Not always, but often. And that's really where his glory shines. That's why you can say, hey, there's treasure in this earthen vessel. And it shows that the surpassing greatness of the power is from God and not from the dirt bucket, right? So would you just kind of work through that list right now? Just personally, right where you're standing, just whisper those prayers out. Lord, I want to give myself to you. like 1 Corinthians 14 says, where you're always kind of tweaking and adjusting and helping me. I give myself to you, Lord. I want to be your extension cord. Help me, Lord, not to mix me up and my identity and the giftedness. Oh, Jesus, use me for your glory. Jesus, would you guide my words? Would you guide my awarenesses and thoughts? Would you guide my hands? Revelation, demonstration, communication gifts. Use me for your glory, Lord. I know there are probably some that I'll be using more frequently because that's kind of the way the scripture reveals. But Lord, I'm willing to do anything for you. You need someone to be used in any way, even if I've never done it before. Lord, I'm, I'm willing. If you're willing to put up with me, I'm willing to try for you, Lord Jesus. Would you reveal your glory through my life and through my friends, Lord Jesus? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, here's what I'll ask us to do. I'm gonna, we're gonna do two things during this prayer time. It won't be long because it's late. It's 11 o'clock already. But what we're gonna do is, uh, in Greenland, what we're gonna do is, um, I know there are many people, aside from those that responded this morning, that really wanted to experience baptism in the Holy Spirit. And if that's you, in just a second, I'm going to invite only people that want to be baptized in the Spirit. Or maybe you've had an experience with it, but it's always been a question mark, and you've never really been sure. Tonight, God wants to really validate that for you. And it, it, in a moment, when we begin prayer time, if, if you'll just come to the front, the only people on the front edge of the stage, um, you just come and stand. You touch your toes to the front edge of the stage. All right, we've installed electrodes here, and uh, it really helps. No, but if you'll come and just stand at the front edge of the stage, for people that want to receive spirit baptism. Clear? That's the only, only thing forward. But everywhere else in there, we're going to have prayer groups. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is to get into groups of, everyone say three, okay, or four. Okay, so that's not two or seven, three or four. And just get in a group. You can step to the aisle. You can turn right around. You can stand up. You can sit down, whatever it is. When you get in that group, don't hold hands or anything. You don't need to do that. But just you're going to take time, everyone praying for just one person at a time. You'll pray for George first. George, you know, maybe you'll ask George, hey, can we pray for your healing or whatever it might be. 
and that person can share. Maybe there's a family need or something, and the others will just gather around and pray. And the job is that everyone else in the group will be talking on top of each other out loud, slathering the love of God on George, right? Your main job is that George feels the embrace of the Lord. Your job is not to hurry it up and get it over with. Your job is to allow that to happen. And, and maybe during that time, if you'll listen, God might prompt you and follow those promptings. If this is a safe spot, right? And, and listen, try to locate those spots where the Holy Spirit speaks. And then when you're done, you'll know it's done in a minute. And you'll go, okay, Sally, how can we pray for you? You know, and you just kind of work your way around that group. Now for the super introverted people, this may be a little um, challenging for you, but it's not going to be challenging in that we're making you do it on a microphone. You're just in a small group of people in the back of the church. It's no big deal. It's a safety zone and everybody's a little uncomfortable with this, aren't we? Right? But your job is not performance. Your job is expressing the selfless love of Jesus in that moment. Sound like a deal? Okay? So anyone that wants to experience spirit baptism, come on up front real quick because I'm going to have people get in groups real fast. Come on, come on, come on. Ring of the dinner bell, prime rib, filet mignon, or if you're a vegetarian, salad, all right, from the Lord up here, all right? Come on, come on, come on. Uh, everyone else, would you just begin to get in a group of three or four? Get in a group of three or four. And uh, right now, come on. Oh, you can keep the lights up so people can see, please. Um, but get in a group of three or four. If you're not in a prayer group, we pray, play the, pray the plagues of Egypt upon you, all right, as punishment. Yeah, good. Come on, come on, come on. Beautiful. All right, so just select someone in your group. You're going to pray this point. Hey, we're praying for you first. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to need some prayer partners up here to help me. Pray for spirit baptism. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So everybody's praying for just one person at a time. Hear their need and pray for them. All right, awesome, awesome. 